but the, the most impressive thing was the cast. Because I remember rehearsing these in a car park again with nothing, just massive lines on the floor, everything was smart. And it was London, so it was rainy and sand and puddles everywhere. And then we were hearing on the radio, we're gonna do it again. And we were telling the cast, guys, let's do it again. And they were screaming of happiness. They were like, yeah, let's do it again. You are their way of transmitting that into the cast and you still need to be able to transmit, to make them understand what's the creative behind us. Hello, Theatre Art Life podcast listeners. Today, we're sharing with you an interview I did with Miguel de la Fuente in Dubai last year on his global career and his work in stage management. We hope you enjoy. So to begin with, can you just tell me your... Full name and where you come from? Full name is Miguel de la Fuente Graciani and I come from Spain originally, but I haven't been there for a long time now. So when did you leave Spain? 2009. I was working in the film industry back there and then I moved to Mexico for a couple of movie projects that never happened. And then I fell into the events world in Mexico right. back then. So you've been in the entertainment industry since you began, or did you start? I mean, you, film is being yeah, industry. yeah, yeah, always, always. I studied the film studies and film production, and then all the way. It's been it's been a passion since I was a kid. So, and how did you fall into the event industry? Well, it, it was funny because then um, I went to Mexico for this uh, one of these projects that didn't happen, and then. I was working with some friends trying to look out, you know, how is to start in a new country or I, I wanted to travel. That's why I left Spain in the first place. And then I spent what, four or five months in Mexico trying to figure out what was the best way. And then by chance, I met uh, a company that was producing a huge show uh, for the 200 years of uh, independence anniversary in Mexico. And I said, why not? Uh, it was a site managing uh, job back then. Four months, something like that, but there was a parade of 8,000 people and then a massive show. It was a huge, it was a very, very, very huge show. We had like 2 million people live. And I remember the whole adrenaline of doing the live thing. <laughs> and, that, and then I came back to Spain after that and um, I did the movie as an ID, at first, first ID. And I got bored, I got so bored. And I was like, oh, I, I don't think I can go back now. Like, I got the adrenaline of the, the taste. Life. For yeah, it, I got yeah. the taste of the life. And, and that's it. And then I, I kept on doing events. And do you think that there was anything from your um, study in film and then your work in film that worked well into moving into events? Or? Definitely. Like, at the end of the day, the whole industry is entertainment, as, as you say. And production is production like obviously you produce a short a shoot whatever uh, end of the day you have a side you have people to manage whether you have a camera or not even on events now you have most of them going live uh, it's really really similar like, mm-hmm. to be honest it's quite similar yeah obviously each one of them has their own specifics but um it's not like changing from medicine to architecture or something like that yeah so tell me what you did as the site manager on that project um, what was your tasks well, basically, it was making sure that because the, the site we have three sites, uh, three rehearsal sites, three rehearsal venues. Uh, one was the Palacio de los Deportes, which is a massive arena. But then, obviously, because the parade was huge, we moved on to the Formula One track that now have in Mexico. So it was 
mainly about coordination because there was something like 5,000, 6,000 people every day inside. So making sure uh, the storage was okay. There was a lot of things coming in and off, costumes, props. You can imagine the, the, yes. that, that scale of a project. It was huge every day. So it was more about coordinating and making sure that things were happening. So it, it was about that. It was about making sure that everyone having a very tight schedule and trying to know as much as possible whatever was going to happen in the day. But then, you know, Mexico is one of the countries, as most countries in the world, where you have all these delays and unexpected and things like that. So it was it was more about making sure you had a, a solid plan and then play with it because you knew it was going to go any direction to the bed. So, yeah. And so how long did you actually stay on that job? Like how long was that? Uh, four months I stopped. May 2010. Yeah, and the show was 15 of September. It actually, tomorrow it's going to be nine years. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So you, you did that job and you were like, okay, now I'm doing events. No, I, I did that job. And mm. while I was doing the job, um, then one of the production companies, one of the producers actually of that show was Marco Badic. Um, and some of the people that I was working with them used people that I used to be doing all these Olympic uh, and big stadium arenas and events. And what was it, like three months into the event, I remember one of the guys just came to me on a, on a dinner and we went out and he was like, would you be interested in like keeping doing this maybe in the future? And I was like, yeah, yeah why not? It's, uh, it's fun. I, I definitely enjoyed it. And then, as I said, I came back to Spain, did the other movie, didn't really work out. And a month, two months after, I got a phone call from this guy saying, hey, we're doing a show in Ukraine. You want to come? Like, yeah, definitely. And that's when it started. So Malich was the one that brought you into the... Kind of. It was not, it was not himself, directly, mm-hmm. but it was people working with, uh, with uh, Filmmaster back in the day. Yeah. yeah. How would you define what you do now? A bit of everything? or A bit of everything, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Now I come back to the operation inside. I did um, so Ukraine. I did technical, and after that show, I started working on stage management, and I did only stage management for eight years. In ceremonies, in right? ceremonies and events, mainly ceremonies, but mm-hmm. also there was other corporates and some other events, theater, circus with Dragon here. Uh, and then after eight years, uh, I had the chance now to uh, run an operations department and events, and I was like. Why not? It's, it's a nice place to come back and do different things. And, and it's good that our industry has that where you can change a bit your routine. So when you, not for that, but when you get a bit tired of doing the same thing in that event, you can always do something similar and play with it and then you don't get bored. Sure. <laughs> so for those who don't understand, what does stage management mean in a ceremonies environment? Well, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of things. Uh, Obviously, stage management as a definition, uh, when you're talking on stage in the theater, is a contained space, kind of. Uh, on a ceremony, you're working in a stadium or a big arena, and that changes the whole... You need a big team of people, because obviously the back of house is huge, the roads to get into the stadium to the different entrances to the stage are huge. Mainly, it means preparing rehearsal, running rehearsals, because uh, obviously the ceremony happens... Uh, one day and it's one shot and so there's a lot of uh, rehearsal time making sure everything happens uh try to understand the scene pieces the 
the stadium, how the stadium is going to be divided. Normally, we work with one-to-one uh, rehearsal spaces outside, so you need to keep all these markups and you know make sure because at the beginning, especially the people that the casting ceremonies, it's not professional cast, they're volunteers. So there's a lot of engaging with them as well and trying to make them understand what they're going to do. Or Because sometimes, I don't know, I'm thinking of London, for example, they just go to a car park in the middle of nowhere and then you need to make them understand that these little lines in the floor are going to be a massive structure or something they have to interact with. Um, for these people that are not actors or cast or you know, dancers, it's, it's something that you need to... Um, I think it's a lot to to make sure rehearsals run, to make sure people understand, the cast understands how the show is going to be. And then there's a lot of safety as well, because obviously, again, these people are not professionals. So sometimes I think they're playing and they're doing that for fun. And you need to keep also that side of uh, the bad cop kind of side where it's like, you know, make sure that this happens uh, specifically like this way, because otherwise you might get hurt or not, depending on. Sure. So essentially, you're putting that into context for them. It, you know, they're, yeah. they're coming and taking them off the street, so it's to speak, correct, yeah. and they're putting them in. This is how you fit into the show. This is what you, the parameters which you need to work, and this is how you stay safe, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then obviously, you have the other parts, and you have all the headlight talents and the pro dancers and and that stuff. But I think the most challenging stuff is obviously when you have these mass uh, groups, mass me. groups of people coming in and not expecting anything in our years and trying to keep them up also, you know, making sure that they are enjoying the, having a great time at the same time. So you worked on the London Olympics? Yes, that was my first trip. And how was the, how big was the stage management team in total? It was for the, I cannot really remember the, um, the number now, but we were like 20, 25 people plus uh, another 30, 40 uh local ASMs from London, so more than around 60 people, something around 60 people. That's a lot of people to coordinate in itself, let alone people you to It was huge, but the cast in total was like 8,000 people. Wow. It was huge, it was, it was a big event, obviously. But then also back of house was very interesting because the cast holding area that we had was a kilometre away from the stadium. Uh, so even that, just only that operation of bringing the cast to rehearse and back and the show was, was massive. Massive logistics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what is it like to prepare? For a lot of people, they'll do a show for a season or they'll do a show for a permanent show or a resident show and they're doing it day in, day out. What's it like to prepare one that's just a one shot, one day? It's, to me, it's different because I started doing those and then I, I had a different path like most people because most people come from the theatres. So they're used to... Retire to to uh, exactly to repetition. Where whether I just came to do a one shot, which kind which kind of fits with cinema or what I was doing, because in cinema again you prepare everything to do that shot, that scene, and then it's done. So for me, it was normal. Let's say it like that. It's kind of sad at the same time because then on the last week uh, when you're doing the dress rehearsals and after you've been for three months rehearsing pieces, and it's like oh I'm just going to do this three more times in my life and that's it. I, it's never going to happen again. Mm. But it's good. And then again, the adrenaline of the one shot thing, like knowing it's, it has to happen otherwise. Uh, <laughs> Only just a few billion people watching yeah. <laughs> on TV yeah, we as had, well. We had a couple of hours <laughs> The ring in Sochi, for example, was a big thing. And I remember that. Yeah, that will go down in history, <laughs> right? The Sochi rings. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, you... 
it's nice. It feels nice, and and you get that moment when when there is a countdown. And I always got that moment uh, like you're in the field of play, and and you start feeling the countdown, and all of the crowd is like really getting excited, and and you can feel it. You can feel it in your body that, that you're doing something special, and there's one in your lifetime, and then you just want to get it pretty yeah. right. What do you think of the skill sets for a stage manager to have in that environment? Timekeeping, organization. You must be organized. You need to have communication. That, the thing with that environment as well is that it happens in very different places of the world. So adaptability, not only to the country, to the world, to changes. Obviously, you work with teams of 100, 200, 300 people, depending on the show, technical operations, cast, cast is thousands. Uh, and you need to adapt to those and to adapt to the local um, specifiers of each country. and. It's nice. I think adaptability will, will be the main one, like mm-hmm. being able to adapt to any situation, being calm, obviously, because uh, it's it's really easy to get overwhelmed but, <laughs> by what's happening. But if I have to name one, it will be being able to adapt to whatever it comes and make it happen. Do you think that that's something that can be learned or is it something that comes innate in... in no, it can in, be learned. I think yeah. obviously there's something innate about being calm and not getting... Stress or super stress about situations, but it can be learned. Um, I've seen people learning and, and joining their family from different countries, and, and it's people that originally had no experiences, for example, or they came from tourism or from any other industry, and they started as maybe translators or just assistants, and, and now they keep on doing and they keep and they're doing stage management just because they learn it. You have to have a bit of the personality. Yeah, no, that's that's excellent. So, and do you have a favorite uh, of the ceremonies that you've done? And tell me why. The it's back to London because it was the first Olympics, and I had done an American. I had done all the games before, but the Olympics are something special. I don't know why the vibe in London was amazing. Like even I was living in Suffolk, but then like close to the stadium, and you could, oh, as soon as it was getting closer, you could feel it in the city that it was happening and, and walking to the Olympic Park and there was this sign saying like it's over it's five days. And then I remember that first uh, scene of the show when there was a massive uh, scene change from the green and pleasant line to the Industrial Revolution. That was huge. That was massive. Yeah. It was just a scene like it was not just but it was a scene change choreographed and it became uh, it was Big, 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 huge scene. How many times did you get to rehearse that before the show? Uncomfortable times. And the funny thing is that to reset that, it was like an hour because <laughs> every single piece of grass was marked and has its own position and fences. So basically, we were doing a strike of all that. And once we were doing the strike, we were waiting. Are like, oh, we doing it again? No. And then I said, like, Yeah, we're doing it again. So you knew it was going to be like an hour of. Just everyone, like a lot of people handing massive maps, A0 maps uh, on their hands, just looking for pieces of grass and where was everything uh, settling. But the, the most impressive thing was the cast. Because I remember rehearsing these in a car park again with nothing, with just massive lines on the floor, everything was marked. And it was London, so it was rainy and sand and puddles everywhere. And then we were hearing on the radio, we're going to do it again. And we were telling the cast, guys, 
let's do it again. And they were screaming of happiness. They were like, yeah, let's do it again. And uh, they're not even getting paid. Like, I'm suddenly more excited for that. And they are. It took a lot, a lot of rehearsal, but the cast was amazing. Like, yeah. the whole team working on that, I remember it was a big, big shot. But the cast was just amazing. Every single one of them, I remember thousands of them, they created groups on Facebook. I know some of these groups are they're still meeting 10 years after that. So there's something special. That, that scene from that show was something special. Yeah. And uh, like, likewise for you, for them, it's something that is wonderful. It's wonderful, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's great. What do you think when the team from Balich worked with you back in Mexico, what did they see in you that made them want to take you on to other projects? I don't know, <laughs> but I'm happy they did. Um, well, I was doing my best, you know, like obviously when I joined and when I did my research of who these people were and I saw they were doing Olympics and I remember watching, which is funny because my mom loves Olympic ceremonies and I've been watching Olympic ceremonies when I was a kid. So when I saw that these people were doing that, somehow I was like, oh, wow, this is a very interesting chance of meeting these people. So I remember I gave... 150% extra on that, on that job. And again, it was an event, so I didn't really know what to expect because it was my first event at the same time. So I wanted to be prepared for anything. And I was doing very long shifts and making sure that everything was happening and that was happening right because I wanted it to. I didn't want to make any mistakes just because I was coming from cinema or something like that. So I was being extra careful. So probably was that. And then I think it's just loving what you do because. I didn't do stage management before, but then 2011, I started doing stage management. And then a year after, I was already doing an Olympic ceremony. Stage management was crazy. Like, mm-hmm. I was thinking about it and I was like, this, how did I get here? It was absolutely insane. But it's interesting because of the people that I've interviewed, a lot of them, I'd say half of them thus far haven't started out either doing education and stage management yeah. or, you know, they ended up into that realm by, by some path that they've taken. If somebody is uh, training in stage management, I think the the vision from being where they are in, in a college situation to where maybe doing what you do is like there's no, they don't, there would not be technically any clear steps to get to that. Do, no, do you have any not. advice of... Where somebody should start with, it, with with trying to break into this kind of work? Yes and no. Obviously, I I think you need to do both theatre and events because obviously this, this has a lot of theatrical uh, parts on it, like the theatrical shows at the end of the day. So ideally, you need to have that background, which I lacked, and I remember I was struggling because I was lacking that background. But then at the same time, I was having a whole new background that people in theatre didn't have, which is being outdoors and being outside trying to make a side look some look like something you want to make it look like mm-hmm. um you're referring to film here yeah yeah, 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 yeah. exactly so mm-hmm. which is kind of like when you get into a stadium and you need to like build a set or it's it's a bit different than a theater a theater is much more contained even the stadium is contained but it's not it's something completely different or then going to a rehearsal site in the car park and making sure there's tents and there is so there's a lot of this event I think the key is to uh, to be able to do all, all these different things and then it's uh, meeting the right people as many, many things in this life. Yes. Uh, I was lucky that I met the right people in the few events or shows that I was doing in the ceremonies. I met key people that was driving me from one to the other and to the other and to the other. Because you can apply for jobs, but 
end of the day, people want to work with, especially with something like that, uh, that's going to be uh, broadcasted to millions of people. Uh, they want to know that they can rely on you. So normally people call someone that they've seen working before and know that he's going to respond well to that kind of pressure and that kind of environment. So they're not, they're not going to take a gamble on that situation. No. <laughs> um, so when you get that opportunity, then you work hard because you want to be able to that, that links then to the next job. And the next Correct. Job. It's yeah. about making sure that you can show what your capabilities are when you're working and, and then the right people they're always watching because when you do these shows, you know you're going to have another one after that. And some people may or may not be available because they're freelancers. And then, and then obviously, there's a different um, culture here, which is the having international teams with uh, different backgrounds and different educational staff because you can see people thinking differently. And that's a very good thing when you have a team of 15, 20 people to be able to get eight, nine, ten different answers on a, on a problem. Because there's, there's people that come from Russia, for example, that will have a completely different mindset and will approach the problem in a completely different way that I do as European or, or that Mexican will do. And then you have that, and there's a lot of more solutions that you can play with and, and do things right. I think that's also very important. It's quite powerful if it's utilised properly, right? Yeah. If you've got an international team, it's a, and it's a fortunate situation. I've, I've worked with a number of international teams, and it's like you said, you draw from their strengths, and it becomes your department or your your section becomes okay. really, really good. So now you're in Dubai. Now I'm in Dubai. And how long have you been? Here? Two and a half years. And what brought you here? Uh, Dragon. <laughs> Right, so you started. So you moved from the ceremony world I to the circus world. world. Yes. And what was that transition like? I wanted to. Um, to be honest, even from years ago, in 2011, I did a show with a guy named Pete. I don't remember his name now. Uh, his last name, uh, but he was going to work in House of Bounty Water, and I remember he was talking to me about the show, and I was like, "Oh, that looks very interesting." And I always had that. Spike of like, oh, circus, like it's, it sounds exciting. I would like to try it sometime. And then after the Olympics in Rio, I did a couple of other shows and I was exhausted. I remember I had to take a bit of a break. I wanted to uh, do something else. It had been a lot of traveling, obviously, uh, with no or very few breaks, haven't seen my family in a long time. I wanted to be more settled. I didn't have a house for the past three years, from 2015 to 2018. No, 2014, 2017. I had everything in boxes and it's nice, but at the same time, I wanted to feel a bit of like, oh, I want to have myself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I understand. <laughs> Something like that. And then through a friend, I knew that they were looking for a stage manager in uh, here for a show that Dragon was opening and uh, Franco Dragon was going to create and direct himself. And uh, he asked me if I would be interested. I said, yeah, yeah, definitely put me in contact and, and we'll see. And I had the, an interview with um, Sam, I think Sam would do it. Mm-hmm. And we clicked immediately. It was like a very nice, uh, we had like an hour chat. I was, in, I was traveling in China at the moment uh, on that break when you need to like travel and be alone. And yeah. <laughs> I was traveling in China. I remember we had that chat and, and I loved his approach and I think he liked the way I was, I was looking forward to do something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I said, why not? I, I had worked, not in Dubai, I had worked in Abu Dhabi before, and I like it. It's, it's, a, it's a country that is quiet and safe and, 
and this night. So then I just had to take the shot. Um, it was funny because then back in the day, when they offered me the contract, they were like, uh, we want to offer you a three-year contract. And I was like, no way I'm going to sign for more than that. In one year, like I've never been permanent anywhere. I'm <laughs> in not my life. In my life. <laughs> um, the most I can do is one year. Because I didn't know how I was going to adapt to the city and to do the same show every night. And, that. And it was a very nice experience. Like it was, it was cool to do, to see all of these artists, acrobats training and and pushing themselves a bit more every day, and then living with that, like making a family of of it, which is something that I had my working family, but it was just the people that I was working, but never with cast because the mm-hmm. cast was obviously changing from show to show. So this was a bit different, and they all living in the same city. It was, it was. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. But then after two years, for me, obviously, I haven't been done the same show many times. <laughs> after two years, I think I ran like 400 shows or something like that. It was enough. I wanted to do something else and get back a bit on the, not on the road, but on doing different projects and mm-hmm. different stuff and, and get different flavors. Yeah, I think it, it takes a certain uh, decision to want to be in that lifestyle and the permanence of yeah. the show. Yeah, you can do it for a bit of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've seen people that well, that people do like it for, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. for like 15, 20 years in the same show. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, I would, I would, I know I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. But then in, in, in you know, I don't want to sort of uh, pigeonhole people, but some people are the, the production side uh, the yeah. producing of shows and other people are, are the of the running of it and it can be dependent and that can change because sometimes when you have a family that kind of job then becomes a great, great, a great role for you exactly. have, you know so yeah and it's great and you can settle and you can have like a life exactly so you move from that into uh, events back into events and I move back into events um, now I'm working for NBC which is a television network here in the well it's in the whole Middle East uh, but the headquarters is here in Dubai. There's obviously a lot of events. Uh, we go live uh, broadcasting with events, obviously, so it's also a way to create content for the for the channel. And I'm, I'm back on operations again, so I'm back on running the whole thing behind more than being involved in just running a show. It's more about making sure everything around the show is nice and smooth, which in the region is quite challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it challenging for those who uh, have not been well, worked in Dubai? To be honest, I've done I've done only one show in Dubai, and Dubai is okay. Like now, Dubai have been running big events for a long, long time in a very professional manner, and everyone knows what they're doing. But most of the work in the region now is happening in Saudi, uh, which is both very exciting and very challenging. It's very exciting because there's a big social change and country change and being a part of that it's it's awesome like seeing women without the cavallas and and audiences audiences being mixed and things like a year ago two years ago were unthinkable in that country i've been a part of that it's really like i'm really enjoying that that side of it on the other hand there is no industry there yet. So even if you bring people from Dubai or international, you still need to work with locals and you need to work with local entities. And even to do a simple shipping through customs may blow up a whole uh, event because they will get... Uh, I was doing an event and they, they kept a lift, a stage lift block for like three weeks. 
And we did, we almost, we just got it like three days before the show. So we, it was like, we almost didn't get it. And it's just kind of that kind of stuff to make them understand that this kind of industry requires, uh, these logistics needed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not only the logistics, but yeah, they, they're definitely not used to, to events and how things happen in a very fast pace. Mm-hmm. So it's challenging. It's, it's a bit challenging. Do you feel like you're doing longer hours and have longer conversations? And like, yes, so? definitely. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of that. There's a lot of the inshallah factor that I call, which is like, yeah, inshallah. And yeah, you know, if the inshallah is going to happen in an hour or in two days or in three days. Yeah. yeah. Time Again, is a very, you need to adapt to it. And, time is a very loose concept. Yeah. And somebody who's trying to put on an event, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. Definitely. Yeah. Doesn't. <laughs> But things happen. Like yeah. at the end of the day, things happen. And the exciting part is they want to make things bigger and bigger and bigger. So there's a big industry that is growing now, and see all that flourishing. I find it quite interesting. It'll be another thing in another two years as well. We'll be better at it as well. You know, with the, with the influx of people going in there, right? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So do you drive from here or do you fly? Depending on, I guess, probably depending on where the project is. Depending on the project, the main fly. Right. Yeah. yeah, flying has been real jet and type so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, yeah, flying. And so what would a day-to-day sort of activity be for you with your current job? Um, well, I have an office job, which is something that I haven't had in my life before. So um, basically, because I'm now managing the operation the operational side, but also kind of part from the business side as well. So it's from getting RFPs. Obviously, there's a huge demand of uh, the governments, the, the um, entities, governmental entities are asking for content and for IPs because they are the ones now uh, pushing for uh, for this change to happen on the entertainment in Saudi. So you basically, they, they just get a lot of RFPs out and you need to figure out where you can propose to them. So it's a lot of making proposals, talk to a lot of international people, which is nice because it's a lot of bringing, opening Saudi to uh, an international world. So daily I spend my days in the in the office preparing projects to fall down into place. And then once a project gets approved and we do it, uh, I have a team in Saudi as well. So I coordinate with them and make sure that everything starts happening, fly there, make sure operational runs on day to day and then depending on if there's something else to do here or there I just stay or I'm com- coming back and forth and mm-hmm. how would you say I mean it sounds like from most of your career thus far I've been very practical on the grounds boots on the grounds job Correct. how is it to move into something that was more administrative the but then also yeah, yeah but also yeah. the actual physical aspect of doing a lot of administration like how are you on rolling out all the administration aspect of the job it was challenging but then I had I did a lot of scheduling and things like that in the past so I was very used to work with a computer and producing documents I, I don't I don't mind that and then I still get the chance of being in the ground and, and just see obviously I'm not that much on ground base as I used to be before, but it's good. Like at the same time, I enjoy it. Uh, again, I've been doing different things all my life, and then there's another change, and then you do something different, and you keep on learning and adapting. The first month was tricky. Like I remember, I was getting there, and I was like, "Okay, so what's happened?" There was no, there was nothing on the pipeline like confirmed. I was not used to. I was there, I was just coming to an event, and let's get things uh, rolling and starting. And this was like. Okay, now we need to get things started. Like we need to find the things to get them started with. So 
that I found challenging. Now I'm quite used to it. And, I'm, and I enjoy being also able to do the other part and to start a project from the very, very, very beginning, negotiating, negotiating, seeing which is the best people, the best companies that fit on this or that event or suppliers. It's nice. It's also, it's a good side of the, of the business that I hadn't seen a lot before or not that much, not that close to it. And, and it's good to get a taste of it. So then if you've now you've been settled in a little bit in uh, Dubai for now, do you have some time off and you take up some hobbies? Or what do you do in your free time? Mm, not a lot, to be honest. <laughs> I go to the beach. Like I'm, mm. I'm, I've always been a beach person. And the weather in Dubai, not in summer, but the weather is normally really nice. So I really like going to the beach and swimming, gym, all that kind of like everyday life. Which I haven't had, so that that was uh, for me. My hobby was traveling, and I was doing it for work. So now it's a bit more of like it's nice to have routines and day to day life, and and you know, get to the pool and just spend the day reading, for example, without the pressure of being on an event or in a different country where you just take the day to rest, literally, because you're exhausted from working long hours and and the pressure, obviously, and the adrenaline. And here is much more a set of things. So. Yeah, still, I really like to travel and get the car on the weekend, maybe, and go somewhere to see a bit of the desert. Or mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a different nature here that, that doesn't happen everywhere else. So it's nice also to, to see that part. How many languages do you speak? Properly four. I'm not trying with the Arabic, so. <laughs> <laughs> and what are they? So Spanish? Uh, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, and English, uh-huh. fluently. French, I can understand it because I know all the other Latin ones. So, which is funny because I actually studied French and I cannot <laughs> use it. But it's just because I haven't used it. Because uh, Italian and Portuguese, for example, obviously after working with Valencia, uh, then I worked in Brazil for a few years as well. So just from working, you you pick up obviously Spanish is close to them, so you just pick up sure. here and there. But French is the one that I one. I studied French and, and English, and French I never used it, so it kind of got lost. I can understand most of it when I'm in a conversation, but I'm not able to speak properly. And I'm not trying with the Arabic, which is tough. It's also very quite challenging and interesting, even just from the mind of reading right to left and uh, learning a new alphabet. Well, the alphabet's not that aspect of it as well. It's like Chinese. It's like it's not yeah, just it's not, it's not that hard. One of my very good friends lives in China and, and I know that's insane. At this end of the day, I, there is uh, around 27, 30 um, uh, letters, let's put it that way. So, it's not that hard. Obviously, there are songs that are weird and that I've never pronounced before. But, yeah. yeah. Do you think knowing all those languages has been beneficial uh, in your career? And if so, how? Like how? Definitely, because yeah. um, then when there was a show happening in Latin America or in Brazil or somewhere else, I could speak the language of the locals. And that's key because then... You know, you, you break the language barrier, which in some countries is a huge barrier and it's a huge, it's the first cultural shock that you meet is the language. So if you had that off your way, it, it makes your life much easier and obviously makes you a good asset for the team that you have experience and you're able to speak to the locals directly. So. Yeah. That's why I'm trying with Arabic now, because obviously I'm in Saudi, most of the people don't speak good English. So it's... It will help. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
Yeah. Uh, I'm always envious of, of Europeans because they'll generally have a number of languages yeah. under their belt. Then. <laughs> it's on the cultures. Uh, even though Spain is probably not one of those countries, uh, it's not like North Europe when, uh, where they have to study for five languages even during high school and university. But, but yeah, it's true. But then you don't need it. Because <laughs> no. everywhere you go, most of the people speak English. So that, that's but that's the issue as an anglophone is to go around and you talk about other languages, but they're all speaking English. No, well, I haven't really been back in Spain for almost 10 years now. In terms of living, you visit them, right? Yeah, yeah, I visited them. My family's back, so mm-hmm. my mom, my dad, my brother. But no, no, not now. <laughs> There's probably not a big industry because no, of what you do no, anymore, not. right? Definitely not. There are events, there are shows as in every country, sorry, but... Not as big as uh, we used to, or not as in Dubai, for example, where you get a big taste of international and stuff. It's a very reduced uh, market as well, probably in Spain. So, no, I'm not looking forward to that now. I don't know how long we stay in Dubai. Like, for now, I don't have a day. You know, I think everyone that lives in Dubai knows that it's not forever. Even when they stay for 15 years, I think <laughs> people, people still have a thing of it's home, but it's not home. There's something in Dubai that you know at some point. Somewhere else. And what do you think that is? Uh, I don't know. I think because people don't retire here because one, you're here to make money and to work. And it's a very transactional city uh, in those terms. So you come here, you do the business, you get that done, and then a lot of people leave. And, and friends come over. Even in these two years, I've made friends that have been here in the past that they came after me and they have left already. And you can see that all this movement is, uh, is happening. And I think it's part of the culture of the city now. It's, it's kind of, um, what's, it's an identity. Let's, let's put it that way. I don't think it's sad. I think it's just a different mm. way of looking at it. Sure. So you won't be happy. You won't be staying forever as well. Then. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but then I don't know. I may stay here for 15, 20 years, which mm. is, which feels like forever now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It will depend on opportunities and family, uh, you know, obviously life, life circumstances will take you whatever. But I love it. Like, to be honest, when I came here, I wasn't sure if I was going to adapt well to it or not. And after traveling and after being in all these places, uh, going, coming back, trying to settle in London, not happening. Then I came to Dubai and I, I call it home now and I love it. I really like it. I, I, I like the lifestyle. I like the people here. There's a lot to do. A lot of people just think that it's all indoors, but it's not. You need to like scratch a little bit on, on the surface. And, and there's a very, there are nice things to do in Dubai. It's, it's a very nice place. It's a nice place to be. Have you done a lot of show calling? Not a lot. I've, yeah. I've done a few show calling mainly at, at La Perle with Dragon, but yeah. It's, a lot of people think that the trajectory is you end up calling as a stage yeah. manager, but there's a lot of stage manager work that isn't necessarily no, that, not at all, that role, especially when you're in global set work and ceremonies and events. Yeah, no, especially there, because in there there's only one show caller and there's a team of 40 other people that has to run everything else happening. So, um, yeah, but show calling is obviously a, is a skill. It's another skill that is, and it's good to have. Because then when you're show calling, you're... 
you're running it completely. You're like, you need to understand everything you see that, that it's moving. And it makes you be, have a better understanding on the whole 360 of any show. Cause at the end of the day, when you show code, you, you get on the mind of all the technicians as well. Me too. Uh, it's not about it. It's not just being on the ground managing cast or uh, doing something like that. So yeah, I haven't done as much as I wanted probably, but, um, I think it's a good, it's a very important skill to have. Not essential though. Like, I know a lot of stage managers that haven't show call ever and they keep on doing Olympics and big, big shows everywhere because there is another kind of skill set that you need to run on those that doesn't necessarily involve show call. Do you have an ideal gig or job you want to catch at some point in your life that you'd like to do again? Or I don't even know, when's the next Olympics? Tokyo. Tokyo. Uh, next year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if I want to do one again, it will be an Olympic ceremony, mm-hmm. an opening of the Olympics. Because that night, you know, the whole world is watching. Like, there's something, there's something special about that. You know, you feel there is there is history around it as well. There is, it's an institution itself that has been going on for so long, and and there is all these protocols and rituals and things that have to happen on a specific way because. It, they've been happening all the, through history in mm-hmm. that manner. And I like, and I like that. I enjoy that. Like if I, yeah, I'll, I will do an Olympic ceremony again. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that I know who worked on Sochi have some war <laughs> stories on that project. Why was this one a tough one for the people who worked on it? Because um, they were not ready. And by men, by them, I mean, Sochi was not ready when we arrived. A lot of these uh, games and World Cups and projects, when there's infrastructure involved and construction works and to make sure that they align, there's a lot of things that happen very last minute. But Sochi was very last second. Like, <laughs> uh, and then they, I don't think they, they really knew what I was, well, probably they did, but for whatever reason, I remember all these pictures that we were, we've seen them, like toilets, the two toilets put together without any doors or separation and, and things upside down, windows, like they were not ready. The people, the people that was brought to work in the infrastructure of the city to receive an Olympics was not ready at all. I mean, make it really hard. Uh, then we were not even allowed to bring food into the, um, into the Olympic Park. So. Why was that? Um, security, Russian security. Like every day we had to pass this security control that the, it was a queue of 30, 45 minutes. Every morning you were coming there and you would see the queue. Like the first thing you were doing every morning was just standing in a line. <laughs> Luckily, even if it was winter, Sochi was not as cold, but. Still, uh, you were just there waiting for 45 minutes to, for everyone to pass the security control and they wow. were really, really strict. Uh, obviously they were, that's the other thing with, with Olympics. It's a big target. And in a country like Russia, they were worried, which is good. You have to have that security. And I remember there was a lot of people complaining and I was saying, well, we, we, they imagine that we're safe inside, so it's a good thing. The uh, food situation was dramatic. dramatic. <laughs> but they had food places on the inside. They had, there was a canteen inside, but um, I lived, I know that I ate there three, four times, <laughs> and that was it. It was not. I remember I, I survived on chocolates and biscuits, <laughs> and as me, most of the 
teams were like, like, and that was make, that that is the thing that makes it the hardest probably. Yeah, if you're not eating properly and you're doing long days. Yeah, it's long days. You know, obviously, then you were going out and, and having dinner somewhere else, and, and that was okay. Ish, but yeah, it was it was more about the the everything that was. Outside of the show was difficult. The show was huge as well, and obviously the challenges we had. Ambitious in the way. Yeah, it was. It was really, really ambitious. I remember there were pieces, massive static pieces that never made it into the show, just because there was there was too much. It was. It was really, really, really ambitious. So it was already a lot of work. It was already a lot of pressure to do that, and the environment was not helping. And that I think that combination is what made. Everyone, almost everyone, say that it was probably the toughest project. That, mm. To me, it was definitely the toughest project I worked in. I remember uh, it was one of those places where I, I was happy to leave by the end of it. You know, it was like, okay, it's done. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah>. Jim. <laughs> of the from the concept, you say a lot of things were removed from the concept of what it was supposed to be and what was actually ended up happening. How much? What on that? What kind of percentage might that have been? No, huge, a very high percentage, probably. Eight, nine percent? Yeah, yeah. So they, they got a lot in Yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. But still, the, the 10% they got out, uh, there were still big pieces or, or things that people had been, because everything was huge. That show, everything was on the biggest scale. And I'm talking about it's 20 meters size scenic piece. It's not like probably just gone out. It was like something huge that you used to see every day and you used to try to make it work and then sometimes I'm like, okay, no. It's not going to It was sad because then you see all the people that have been only working, not, you know, or more focused on those things. And then you, no. no, it's hard. I mean, it's always part of that creative process when things yeah. get thrown out that you really cherish. It's, it's yeah, it's not, it's not pleasant for the people who put all their time and effort in it and it's never going to get seen on screen, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> But um, yeah, but even though it was a massive show, it was it was probably bigger than London in terms of how big it was, like how impressive or uh, the scale of it it was. In some of the roles that you've done, do you feel like you've had to have an element of uh, creativity? And, and, and sure. How does that fit into the job? On, on problem solving, <laughs> creative problem solving. Yeah. 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 Definitely. A little bit, and then, and even when you talk, because you have choreographers and you have creatives with you, but when you have a cast of a thousand people in place, you are their way of transmitting that onto the cast, and you still need to be able to transmit to make them understand what's the creative behind that. So you need to have that. You need to have that little part of, of creativity. And then, obviously, after doing many, many shows, you remember whatever has been done here and there. Do you feel like you, you cultivated that in your film work as well? Yeah, well, I mean, I started doing film because I loved... Uh, what was your kind of role specifically in film? I was doing production. I started as an... Uh, I was doing mainly uh, unit management, so pure production. And then I did two, three projects as an AD. Like, uh, but that kind of... Merge with the stage management because he would. And they role is kind of like a stage Yeah, exactly. Because it's when you do schedules, when you're running the set, uh, it's basically the same thing. Just apply them to a shoot and uh, mm. them to a life. But then, yeah, I think everyone that loves cinema is because you love the stories and you love the creative behind it. And on my case, I started because I really loved animation, like stop motion and cartoons and things like that. So I was actually focused kind of like on that direction, which requires a lot of 
creativity and, and deal with uh, people that draws and, and it's very creative and has a lot of imagination. So yeah, for me, definitely I have that because I, I loved that when I started in the industry and then I've just been directed to uh, <laughs> uh, different parts of the industry. But yeah, create creativity in this industry is a must and you need to love what you do and, and you need to feel it like if, if, if you're not creative, you're just there because of the logistics. But you will morph into something else. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen that, I've seen people that see but they don't appreciate what's behind the the show and then they they end up doing something else. Yeah, it's kind of nice that you can get to dabble in both, right? Yeah. The logistic, the technical, and then the creativity as well, without having to put the big creative director hat on, right? Because <laughs> that's a lot of responsibility. And that's, and that's what I used to love of the stage management part, because then you get a taste of everything. You get to interact with every department. You're basically putting everyone together and making sure that everyone is communicating and everyone is aligned and, and do things together. So you can get both sides. You get the creative side, you get the technical side, you get the operational side as well. That's particularly what I like the most about doing statements. How closely do you work together with the teams? It, it, it seems to, I haven't worked on a ceremony, so I'm asking for me as well. It's like how how closely do you see that team of 40, 50 people? Because I would imagine that you've kind of deployed out to different sections. Know, on it, a depends, day. it depends on the show. You try either to allocate people to segments or but then you try to rotate people as much as you can so everyone gets a taste because at the end of the day everyone is running the same show so you cannot have only one person knowing one part of the show because then if something happened to that person you're screwed like sorry (laughs) Uh, literally so you need to have everyone have an understanding of what's happening Um, so you try to rotate as much but then yeah there's some people that you can see for days (laughs) then you just see them back at the hotel when you're having a beer at night and it's like what have you been all day (laughs) what have you been doing but then it's nice because then you get like to do this cut and you share the stories you so who coordinates the stage managers uh there is the role of a production stage manager mm-hmm. which normally is the head of a department and, and that is or is not the person that calls it That's no there is a show caller mm-hmm. and then it's a production stage manager so a production stage manager takes care of making sure the coordination of the team is happening also what, what you have to do is to take as much things off the plate of the show caller as you can because obviously show calling a ceremony is huge it requires a lot of concentration as much as you can take off from that side from the whole department so i'll make sure i deliver this at this exactly. time and so you yeah know, it's you fine to call to say correct you work hand in hand with the with show caller yeah you stay in there in the control room with the show caller so but you kind of filter so everything that is happening that is not show calling related that doesn't have to go with the show run, you just leave the show call and you take care of everything else from uh, managing the team and coordinating to whatever. So there's essentially a, a separate team coordinating all of that backstage activity and then Correct, the final clear to the Yeah, yeah but even, even, even with the people um, on stage, with the, on the field of play, if there's an issue or if there's something happening, but it's not major, that it's not show critical that you need to go to the show you probably will go to the PSM and then try to sort it out on a different channel obviously not the show not show channel yeah communication is a huge thing yeah so you meet together regularly and discuss logistics of who takes what and how it's going to move and as a team work that out right correct yeah now that's that sounds like a fascinating process. It is. It is. It is quite nice. And how long does that process from start to finish take? Um, well, it depends on the ceremony, obviously, and depends on the show. Olympics rehearsals start 
three, four months before the show. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously a process before that. There's auditions. There is a, a year before. So from a stage management perspective, how long before the, the day does the team join? The main team to be deployed on on ground, normally three, four months, like at the start of rehearsals. Normally you, have, you will have a smaller team that... Um, Obviously, starts understanding the creative and the changes, uh, show caller and the PSA. But the full team, really uh, but the full team comes a week before rehearsals. Mainly, just you have a week to get into into place, understand the cultural shock, like break that cultural shock for like a week, and then understand the show. Obviously, like go through all the documents and everything that's been created for the past year or two years before you arrive. Make sure you get that interiorized, and then just make sure that you prepare and make sure rehearsal spaces and everything is good to start rehearsals and to start shaping it into the final show. Fascinating. Have you had to deal with any major accidents or emergencies in any of your projects? Uh, there has been accidents here and there. Not major, major like life-threatening, but like broken bones and things like that, yeah. And in a ceremony situation, stage managers are always involved in the logistics of Getting support for that? Or? Yeah, well, there's a whole, there's a whole health and safety team. Uh, technical has a lot to do, obviously, with uh, safety as well. Um, you take uh, stage management takes a lot of the safety of the cast because it's a lot, and again, the volunteers most of the time. Uh, and then you work hand in hand with technical for the rest of the team. But yeah, yeah you definitely involve here. If anything happens, you're obviously one of the uh, key references. So sure. So no, that's good. It's good to have no, no bad accident on your no, watch. Since yeah. it, and that's quite a, you know, with all the projects all over the world. Uh, but that means people do a good job. And, and that's the other thing. Like, like make sure that the, the people that work know what they're doing. And, and, yeah. So you are first aid trained? And, yes. Yes. Yeah. And practice? Uh, no, actually no. I haven't, which, yeah. which is good. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Um, so when you when you leave the industry, where you're gonna end up? You're gonna end up retire know. in Spain, then you don't. I don't know. I haven't thought about that. It's hard because a lot of the people who end up international um, become, you know, a little bit of a wandering spirit, and they can tend to fit in in most places, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, then you get all these and you travel everywhere, and then you want to like find your corner of the world where you just say, "I get that, I get that," and even I had that, and but then now I came to Dubai and. I run the corp- like I started the corporate side and I don't know, let's see what let's see what other yeah. steps. It shifts as you age, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're younger you really do get going in a suitcase, but after a while it's, yeah, it's nice to see Well thank you so much for My speaking with yeah. me today. It's been really cool <laughs> to get to know you. Indeed. Thank you very much. Please write a review on our podcast whenever you listen to our podcast. Let your friends know about us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life by visiting our website at www.theatreartlife.com. And you can follow us on social media and leave your questions or comments on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, or YouTube. We really want to thank David Zaya for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Sharotta, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast, where we put the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world.